Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. Uh, recording this on a Tuesday night, just a few hours after we talked to all of Ohio State's 10 on-field assistant coaches, as well as uh, Ohio State's director of sports performance, Mickey Marotti, for the first time since the end of spring practice that we have talked to any of them. And so a good opportunity to kind of uh Get some of the get some updates on what's going on at each position group and where Ohio State's at as it heads into June. Uh, currently, the Buckeyes are in the middle of summer workouts. Of course, uh, still about two months away from preseason camp. Uh, you know, the coaches for the past month, for the most part, been out on the road recruiting. So, not necessarily a whole lot has changed on the football field on the depth chart since spring practice, but. Nevertheless, our first chance to hear from a lot of these coaches, some of them for the first time and for in two or three months. So, Griffin, start with you. Of everything you heard today from the coaches, what would you say was the thing that stood out to you the most? Yeah, Dan, I think often, as is the case, uh, Jim Knowles usually has some some interesting nuggets. You know, obviously, he's the helming the defense for the Buckeyes now entering year two as the defensive coordinator. And, you know, the past few years, a lot of the the major questions have been on defense, which has often made him kind of the most uh, entertaining guy to, to listen to in, in terms of what he might reveal and whatnot. And he, he talked extensively um, about the outlook on two particular players, Dan, that I think fans will be pretty excited to hear about, uh, starting with CJ Hicks. Um, I, I kind of asked him first about the, the health status of guys like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers in that linebacker room, and then kind of transition from there to you know what he saw from C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers over the spring. Of course, we didn't get to actually talk to Jim Knowles even after the spring game. I uh, got to talk to Day and some of the players, but uh, no Knowles there. Um, so kind of wanted to, to get his thoughts on on how those guys are coming along. Just wrote a piece the other day about you know those guys having good springs, but still not necessarily on the path to become starters or necessarily factor super heavily into the lineup. I know when we published that story, Dan, a lot of people were saying, man, if Hicks doesn't get on the field this year, like fans are not going to be pleased. And people were saying Hicks should, should transfer and, and this, that, and the third, but Knowles really on Tuesday, Dan sounded very optimistic about CJ Hicks having a legitimate role for Ohio state on defense. Uh, he, he said, uh, word for word here that sometime this season we're going to see Hicks really unleash and said he's on the cusp of breaking out Dan uh, and, and the problem is you know he 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 also acknowledged the fact that he's not going to be pressed into action were his words because of the veterans in front of him you know specifically Steel Chambers there at the will linebacker position uh, but he mentioned him along with Mitchell Melton as the as the two kind of top candidates to play that jack linebacker position and even aside from that he said just, you know, he's going to try to make a more concerted effort this season to get him in the rotation. You know, even if some of those snaps might come more in the second half of certain games that Ohio State may have a substantial lead or just getting him, you know, s- some snaps in the rotation in, in important moments. Uh, it, one way or another, it sounds like we are going to see CJ Hicks actually take the field, considering Dan last season, no snaps played on defense. Yeah, it, it was funny. At one point, he was asked about CJ Hicks and 
he made a comment along the lines of, yeah, you know, you know, I know that, you know, everybody wants to see the highly recruited players get on the field right away. And, and I think another reporter was like, Oh really? Like, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very clear, uh, from, uh, everything I hear from fans, uh, my Twitter mentions anytime, literally anything comes up about CJ Hicks or Sonny styles, uh, fans want to see those two guys on the field. Uh, it's, it's, that's a very obvious point. I think there's some Ohio state fans out there who have literally spent every day for the past six months thinking about how much they want to see CJ Hicks and Sonny styles play this year. So certainly, uh, two very, uh, popular players right now among the Ohio state fan base and, and people want to see them play. And, you know, the question now becomes, you know, what we heard about both of them, you know, lots of positive talk today about Sonny Styles too, from uh, Jim Knowles, from Perry Eliano, Jim Knowles saying, you know, he thinks that Sonny's a guy, even though he's got that bigger body, even though we've seen him playing kind of that hybrid linebacker role, Jim Knowles does see him as somebody who can play that high safety role, even with that bigger size. And so, there's both those guys. We saw them both perform well in the spring game. They both seem to have a lot of momentum right now. And yet we still don't know exactly what their roles are going to look like. I mean, I I know there's a school of thought out there among some that like CJ just has to be in the starting lineup no matter what. But again, like, I mean, Tommy Eichenberg was one of the best linebackers in the country last year. Like steel chambers was really good last year. So are they really going to bench one of those guys? Like I, 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 I understand where the sentiment comes from because Ohio State's defense finished the year poorly. But I think you wrote this in your article the other day that, you know, even with the defensive breakdowns at the end of last season, most of that wasn't coming from the linebacker level. And so I I would still be shocked if Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers aren't the starters. I think they should be the starters. I think they deserve to be the starters. Now, is it possible that, you know, CJ Hicks gets some reps? And then CJ Hicks plays fantastic. And it, it, at some point it becomes clear that like CJ Hicks has to be in the starting lineup. Yeah, I don't I don't discount that possibility. But unless one of those guys is hurt, I'd be shocked if CJ Hicks is a week one starter. But it does seem like Jim Knowles has a plan. He's not going to tell us that plan. Same thing with Sonny Styles. They're, they're, they're going to purposely not tell us that plan. I mean, we we wish they would because we need stuff to write about right now, but they're not going to tell us that plan. They, they, they're, we're going to have to wait and see until September exactly what the role is going to look like for those guys. And so I don't know exactly what that role is going to look like for CJ Hicks. I do believe Jim Knowles, like based on how strongly and forcefully he said that stuff about CJ today, that like he does have plans to utilize CJ this year. I, I do believe that we are going to see CJ Hicks play a role this year. I, I don't know exactly what that role is going to look like. And the reason why is because I think they're pretty good at linebacker. Like I don't, I don't think there's this glaring need to force CJ Hicks into the starting lineup. You know, similarly at safety, like, I mean, Lathan Ransom's back, like Josh Proctor's a veteran. Jahad Carter's a guy with three years of starting experience. We've heard good things about Cam Martinez. So again, like ultimately the coaches have to say, okay, who's our best guys? Like if they think, if they think CJ Hicks is one of the best 11 guys, then he'll play a lot. If they think Sonny Styles is one of the best 11 guys, he'll play a lot. They, they might prove to me. I mean, I, I don't think we know that about either of those guys yet as much as, as easy as it is to jump to the conclusion that, because these guys were five-star recruits, they they have to be better than the guys who played last year. We still don't know that yet, um, you know. But it does 
it does feel like those guys are gaining momentum to where their roles are likely to be substantially bigger than what we saw from them as freshmen. Yeah, Dan, I almost wonder how much of the the linebacker thing, too, is almost like a lingering resentment from some of those past seasons in recent Buckeye history. You look at, you know, 2018 or even 2021, uh, years like that, when, you know, the, the linebacker position was, you know, a, a position group that you might have been able to point to for, for some of the big breakdowns and, and flaws in some of those Ohio State defenses. But, I mean, how can you argue with the season that a guy like Tommy Eichenberg had last year? Uh, but you just wonder, like, with Steel Chambers, I mean, like 77 tackles last year, two interceptions from him. And, you know, I just wonder if fans are like, well, this is a guy that, that came in as a running back that barely played. And, you know, so a guy like CJ Hicks just has to be automatically better than him, as you said, despite having more experience in the program and this, that and the third. But, you know, and I also think it's it's worth noting that Knowles said, you know, at some some point in the season, I think we'll see Hicks get unleashed. You know, he wasn't saying you know, week one Hicks is really going to be, you know, turned loose and everything like that, which, you know, who, who knows, maybe we will see that happen. But, you know, I think him, him, him saying at some point this season still leaves some room for, for him to kind of continue to grow into that role as well. Uh, but and they'll have some time to experiment in the first few weeks of a season too. I mean, we don't think in, I mean, they're going to talk about Indiana, like Indiana's a big test because it's a conference game on a road, but we don't expect Indiana to give much of a, a test for our state. We expect Youngstown State and Western Kentucky to be very easy wins. So they're going to have some time there. You know, it's very different than last year where we talked about that Notre Dame game being week one. Like Ohio State had to know going into that week one game last year, like who their best guys were. And we, and we saw like they they didn't actually know that, like because Josh Proctor was the starter and then he got benched after a series. So, you know, it, it, there's always going to be uncertainties going into week one. But I think the good news for Ohio State this year is they have a few weeks there at the start of a season where they should be able to get a lot of guys reps. And there's definitely a possibility. I think particularly when we're talking about promising young players like CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, that those guys, you know, come week four of that first real big game against Notre Dame could be playing in a bigger role than what we see them play in the season opener. Yeah. And Dan, kind of an interesting point on styles as well. You know, just the, the talk about he might be even repping at, the, the free safety position, which, you know, we weren't necessarily thinking about him playing a, a whole ton, maybe some, some discussion early in the off season, but uh, you know, that's a position that most of the first team reps this spring went to Josh Proctor, who's obviously returning again for Ohio state. And uh, you know, I know earlier in the off season, you know, we didn't know if he was going to be coming back to actually be in a starting role or just, you know, a, a depth piece, but it sounds like there may be you know, something of a, a competition brewing there uh, with those guys, the more they see styles come in um, in terms of where they want to slot him in at. Yeah. And I think it makes sense to, at the very least, see what he can do there because we assume Leif and Ransom is going to be the starting strong safety. You know, I've said it before, like I feel pretty good about Leif and Ransom. I know, you know, there's people out there who don't feel good about Leif and Ransom because he had one really bad play that cost him a college ball playoff game. So I understand, but I think all in all, Leif and Ransom was a really good player last year, and I think he's you know clearly their most established safety. So if he's staying at strong safety, he's the strong safety. You know, I think at free safety, you know, I don't I don't think we should be handing Josh Proctor any role yet because we saw how things went last year where he was you know an assumed starter all offseason, and then one series into the year that changed. And so I, I think it's definitely a good thing for Ohio State to have some competition for. Josh Proctor at free safety. And 
personally, my my thinking has kind of been all along. You know, I I I didn't really get the vibe that Kai Stokes made a push for that role during the spring. So my thinking was kind of well, we're hearing all these good things about Cam Martinez at nickel. Maybe Jihad Carter moves over to free safety and he becomes the top competition there for Josh Proctor. But now we're hearing Sonny Styles can be involved in that as well. And you know, ultimately, you know, all the coaches will say it. I heard it from plenty of them today. Like we still have. 25 practices in the preseason, you know, there's still time for them to experiment with different combinations. And I think safety is one of those positions where they have reason to do that because they only have one returning starter in Leif and Ransom. You know, we've talked about it. They have six or seven guys who could be real candidates to play this year. So you've got to, you've got to try guys in different positions to ultimately figure out, okay, what is our best lineup of free safeties? Yeah, Dan, another important point I think that that Knowles was kind of discussing in detail was kind of his change in philosophy regarding rotations in general, because, of course, last year we talked and wrote a lot about the fact that, you know, he he likes a tighter rotation on the back end, you know, in the secondary at linebacker. And we saw that really play out, you know, other than some injury issues, maybe in the secondary and stuff, necessitating some other guys to get in the mix. But, you know, really a linebacker, you look at a guy like Tommy Eichenberg, how, how many snaps he played. I was looking at it a couple of minutes ago, he didn't play fewer than 42 snaps in any game last year. And I believe led the entire defense in snaps played. Um, and, and he was, you know, citing the injury issues that Eichenberg faced late in the season. Uh, he even made a, a remark uh, referring to Eichenberg as Tommy no thumbs because of the, the, the double wrist injuries and stuff he was fighting through. And he was like, you know, the, by the end of the season, you know, a, a grueling season like that, we've got to have more guys that are are able to take some of that workload on, um, which is, you know, seems, seems obvious enough. Uh, but then the other, the other part of it, um, on that topic was just that he was saying that, you know, at previous stops in his coaching career, he hasn't had as much talent as he does at Ohio state. And he said, you know, in going into his second year, you know, the first year was all about implementing his system, you know, getting familiar with the guys, you know, producing right away, everything like that. Uh, and, and this year, I think he's had a little more time, at least, you know, he, he said as much, uh, to really kind of evaluate just how much talents on the roster and specifically guys like Hicks and Styles um, that can, you know, they can make a create a, a role or a situational package or this, that, and the third to get guys like that involved. And I think it it goes past just those two guys too, because I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of guys that they were talking about, you know, especially on that back end uh, that could potentially play a role this season. You know, whereas maybe last year Knowles wasn't quite as willing to give a leash to quite as many guys on that back end. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough balance, right? Because like I think back to last year at this time and Knowles is saying, we're, we're not going to rotate. We're just going to have the best linebackers and safeties out there. And everybody's like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, that's what we should have been doing. And now this year, it's like everybody wants more rotation so we can see these young guys play. So I feel like every year it's like, Whatever they did the last year, everybody kind of wants to see the opposite of it, you know. You know, and and, and again, I get that because it, it's because the defense is underperformed, so you don't want to see them just roll back the same thing if it didn't work the year before. But at the same time, like, there's no clear answer there, right? Like, playing more guys is not always better. Like, I think of like wide receiver as an example where I think we've seen that over the years where. It used to be there was this six receiver rotation and everybody played the same amount of snaps and it seemed like nobody ever really stood out. And now, you know, Brian Hartline comes in and and it's more you have these studs out there and those guys are playing the majority of snaps. And I don't think anybody's sitting there saying, man, I 
I, I hope, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. only plays half the snaps this year. And so, you know, I, I do think that, and I've talked about it before, and I think this is particularly when I think about a guy like a CJ Hicks, I, I, I think it's, it should be less about, we've got to rotate him in for this many snaps and it's got to be more about what can he do really well that we can utilize him in a certain role that enables him to play really well. Like maybe that's the Jack position. Maybe it's, you know, just coming off the edge and making plays. I've said it, I've said it before to me where I think CJ would intrigue me the most. And I think it potentially help Ohio state the most is in those third down situations. You know, I see Steele playing most of the snaps at will linebacker in the base defense, but on a third down nickel situation, maybe that's when you bring CJ in the game. You know, if CJ, CJ has experience playing safety. So CJ might give you a little bit more in those pass coverage situations where maybe that's a role that you can put CJ in the game. You know, I think we've seen in the past when, when it's just a true rotation, like one guy plays one series and one guy plays the next series. I don't really think that usually works very well because usually one guy ultimately is better than the other player. And so if you're just taking that better player off the field to, to put another guy in there just to get him snaps, I don't think that that makes a ton of sense. But I think if you can figure out specific ways to utilize guys to play to each of their strengths, then that absolutely can have a positive impact on the defense. And I think with both CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for those guys to make those kind of impacts, even if they're not starters. And I think the coaches see that too. Again, they're just not going to tell us what those roles are going to be because they don't want their opponents to know. So why would they tell us and then have us go put it out there on the internet for their opponents to read about or listen to us talk about? Yeah, Dan, I know we talked to Perry Eliano earlier on in the the spring and you were talking to him about, you know, Sonny Styles' role and things of that nature. And he was talking about, you know, trying to to give him more of a, a streamlined role, kind of exactly what you're you were just describing. But I think it's, you know, interesting that that Noel seemed to suggest, you know, maybe maybe that won't be the case. Maybe will we you know, could see him actually at that starting free safety position. But uh, Dan, another safety we haven't talked about yet uh, that we didn't get to see a whole lot of over the spring that was mentioned a couple times by both Jim Knowles uh, and Perry Eliano is Jihad Carter, obviously the Syracuse safety whose spring was, was cut short. Um, you know, I was I was asking a couple of coaches just about injury updates and stuff like that, just to to kind of get that that basis of knowledge coming off of the the spring game and everything like that. And um, you know, Jim Knowles had a lot of good things to say about Jihad Carter, Jihad Carter, and said that he's a guy that that really takes you know things that that takes coaching well and, and immediately kind of fine tunes things after getting constructive criticism from coaches. Uh, I asked him, you know, if if he was good health wise because we obviously didn't see him return after suffering that uh, that that knee injury in that one practice uh, for Ohio State. He he said he's fine, uh, which which kind of made me you know, pause a little bit to say, oh, is fine really hundred percent. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually get to speak to Perry Eliano or, or spend any time listening to him. But, you know, I have seen that in our notes, our quick hits on all the coaches and everything they had to say that he did say that Carter is a hundred percent. And, and Knowles even said, Dan, that, that he could, you know, he, he added competition at, at every safety spot so far this spring. So that's another guy that, 
you know, may have gone out of sight, out of mind a little bit for some fans, you know, just because of that injury in the spring. But another guy that I think we should probably be watching out for to have, you know, a big preseason. Yeah, just to clarify Griffin's point, we we're recording this only a few hours after that interview session, so we just haven't had time to listen back to everything that the coaches said yet. And so if you heard something that a coach said on another podcast that maybe contra contradicts something that we said it's possible we just haven't heard it yet so uh, we tried to do our best to kind of sift through it all before uh coming on here but you know if uh timing and uh you know turnaround time for a podcast to be published on wednesday uh there's, there's only so much time only uh so much time to do everything uh we need to get done there but you know i think i think to your point on jihad carter i mean to me i i, I kind of see him as somebody who's kind of a wild card a bit going into the summer just because he didn't get that full spring. And so, you know, I think we saw it in the spring with all those transfers. They weren't going to just thrust those guys out there into starting jobs right away. I mean, we heard great things about Davis and Igbenosa all spring, yet he still ran up the second team basically the whole spring. And so I, I don't think we really saw enough of Jihad Carter to really get a good feel of where exactly he's going to fit into this defense. But they have said all along, they think he's a guy that can play all free safety spots. So you would think, again, like if Sonny Styles is going to be in that free safety competition, you'd think Jihad Carter could factor into that too. You'd think that he's going to factor still into that nickel competition, even after Cam Martinez had a, had a good spring. And so, I mean, the good thing is, I think they have options there. Uh, again, it's all about, you know, fitting the puzzle pieces together. You know, first and foremost, who are our three best guys? Who are our three guys we need to be the starters in our base defense? And then who else is, is going to have a role in there? I mean, I think, like, for the people who want to see Sonny Styles play, like, I think the good news for about Sonny Styles is I am very confident Sonny Styles is going to have a significant role on the defense this year. I, I right at this very moment would not predict him to be a starter, but I would say, honestly, outside of Leif and Ransom, Sonny is probably the safety I'm most confident is going to play a significant role this year. Because like if Josh Proctor gets beat out at free safety, I don't know what his role is. Like if Cam Martinez gets beat out by Jihad Carter at nickel, I don't know what his role is. I know at the very least, I think they're going to have Sonny in that third linebacker hybrid kind of role there when they're looking for another big body to help supplement the linebacker level without taking a defensive back off the field. Now it's possible if Sonny wins the free safety job, then that role might go away or maybe a court Williams comes back and he can, he can fit into that role. You know, there's still a lot to be determined there, but I will say like with Sonny, I feel very confident that he's going to have some role in the defense. You know, with J Jihad, you would think Jihad's going to have a role because he has three years of starting experience at Syracuse. He certainly didn't come to Ohio State to ride the pine. I just don't know exactly what that role is going to look like yet. Yeah. Dan, I think my my takeaway, I guess, on some of the, the safety talk today was that, you know, things might not be quite as set in stone as they might have seemed, particularly at the, you know, the three main safety spots there uh, in the spring, because, you know, for the most part, it was, you know, Proctor, Ransom and Martinez kind of taking those those, you know, dominating the first team reps there in the spring. And, you know, just with the, the talk of styles and the fact that, you know, Carter did get a lot of, you know, uh, was lauded by multiple coaches today it makes me think that 
you know, things could are, are still able to change in the preseason, despite what we saw in the spring. Um, but Dan, kind of sticking with the secondary here, um, another, you know, you, you just mentioned one of these guys um, at cornerback where Jordan Hancock and Davison Igbenosin figures to be a really good battle for that, you know, second starting cornerback job opposite Denzel Burke. And, you know, got a chance to, to talk to Tim Walton a little bit about that battle. And, and, you know, from everything he says, you know, that that's a completely wide open situation right there for a starting job. I mean, it, he, he was not tipping his hand, you know, really whatsoever on what direction he would, he, you know, is, is leaning in, in terms of anybody, and, you know, in, in this type of setting, you know, oftentimes coaches aren't going to come out and say anything uh, definite about, you know, that kind of position battle. Uh, just think about, you know, some of the stuff we heard about the quarterbacks today uh, as well was similar, but um, he he thought that both of those guys had a really impressive spring. Uh, he was breaking down to me a little bit, just the the differences in their skill sets and things of that nature. But uh, that's another position battle um, that's that should be a, a really hotly contested one, Dan, in the preseason that we'll be watching closely. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it all spring that you know it feels like they've got four guys at that cornerback spot that that can play right now: in Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Davis and Igbenosin, and Jair Brown, and you know, I, I've said it all along. I mean, I think Denzel Burke is the number one cornerback. I'll be very surprised if he's not the number one cornerback and a guy that's on the field all the time. I mean, Walton said it today. He said he called Burke, quote, our leader over there. So I think Denzel Burke is the number one guy. I think that number two cornerback spot is still very interesting. And again, goes back to that question of, okay, can one of those guys separate himself as the number two corner? And this is a guy I can't take off the field, or does it make sense to have a rotation there? You know, does it make sense to even have a rotation with Burke just to keep him more fresh? You know, I mean, I think those are the questions that have to be answered uh, in, you know, the preseason. But I think the good news is, I mean, we saw it last year. They had a lot of injuries at corner and it really hurt them. You know, when guys like J.K. Johnson came in, the level of play just wasn't the same. And so I think the good news is I think they feel really good about their depth. And, you know, I know Jim Knowles said it today. I mean, he, his expectation is to have a top five defense this year. And one of the reasons he's confident they can have that is because he said the secondary has really improved a lot this year from where it was last year. Dan, obviously, you know, we, we got to talk to the coaches for the first time after several transfer uh, additions came onto the team following the spring game and things of that nature. Uh, so one of the guys that multiple coaches were asked about was Lorenzo Styles Jr. Obviously, who came over from Notre Dame, where he played wide receiver. Now switching to cornerback, um, it was interesting getting to talk to to Walton about that situation because he actually used to play with Lorenzo Styles Sr. back in the day. Uh, so he obviously had uh, a relationship there already to work with. Uh, not to mention, obviously, the fact that. Styles, you know, both Styleses will be able to uh, reunite um, from their days playing together in Pickerington, um, stuff like that. Um, Walton didn't necessarily go into, you know, super detail about, you know, what type of role Styles Jr. will have, but said he's impressed with him. Uh, it was also Brian Hartline was talking about him too, and and kind of telling some stories about when he was recruiting him back in the day, and and he he mentioned that he actually might have even told. Lorenzo Styles Jr. that that his the cornerback was his best position. Um, so just interesting kind of hearing those guys' thoughts on one of the several new transfer portal additions that we haven't been able to talk to the coaching staff uh, about, you know, up until Tuesday. Yeah. And, um, you know, Parker Fleming mentioned that as well, that, you know, he was a guy that 
uh, they were recruiting out of high school. And obviously the defensive coaches who were recruiting Lorenzo Styles back then are no longer at Ohio State. But, you know, this is a guy who has been on Ohio State's radar as a cornerback for a number of years now. And so, um, you know, certainly that's what they always thought was going to be his best position at uh, Ohio State. And, and now he's got the chance uh, to fulfill that. I mean, like we've talked about before, you know, I, I would be surprised if we see Lorenzo play a substantial role this season, in part because of what we just talked about at corner, where I think their two deep at corner is really strong. And so I think for him, having been two years fully away from the cornerback position to come in and compete for, you know, a spot on the two deep right away at corner. I think that's unlikely, but I think, you know, the fact that he still has that redshirt year available, uh, you know, gives him a chance to potentially come in and have a developmental year and still have two years uh, left after this year, unless he can really make an immediate impact on special teams. And, you know, Parker Fleming did say that, you know, he thinks that's a possibility, but he wants to see what Lorenzo does in practice first. He's not going to, he wasn't going to come out and say, I think he can be our punt returner or anything specific until he's had the opportunity to actually watch Lorenzo in practice. Dan, let's move over to offense for a second, just because there's another, you know, big time transfer portal addition that I think a lot of Buckeye fans are going to think could play a massive part on the offensive line for Ohio state this season. And I know you had a chance to spend uh, quite a bit of time with Justin Fry, I believe, Dan, uh, during the interview session on Tuesday. I was not over there um, at the time. So um, just anything you can tell us about you know, what Fry had to say about Josh Simmons, obviously the San Diego State transfer offensive tackle, and you know what he sees from him coming into the program. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, Justin Fry talked about how he recruited Josh Simmons back when he was the offensive line coach at UCLA. He offered Josh Simmons. And so you know, this isn't just somebody who... They looked at his film last year and said, oh, we should go look at this guy. This is a guy Justin Fry has known for years and who he's fought highly of for years. And so I think that was, you know, the first thing when when he entered the portal of, you know, this was a guy that Justin Fry had long believed has potential to be a high level offensive tackle. It's not just seeing him in the portal and finding out about him then. You know, they had already had that relationship going back to high school. So I think, you know, that was a big part of it. Uh, you know, Josh Simmons ultimately being the guy they brought in in their search for a transfer offensive tackle. Uh, you know, Justin Fry said, you know, one of the things he's really liked about Josh Simmons since high school is just his frame. I mean, his physical build, you know, he's he's tall, he's long and he's also quick, athletic. So, you know, Justin Fry made it clear. I mean, he thinks Josh Simmons has all the physical tools uh, to be a really good player. You know, he also complimented uh, Josh Simmons's maturity. He said, you know, he's a quiet guy, but he he goes to work and he wants to get better. Um, he also complimented Josh Simmons's internal drive. And so, uh, you know, you could tell that Justin Fry, uh, you know, has high hopes for Josh Simmons. Uh, he was asked about uh, the penalties because uh, Josh Simmons, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but I know Pro Football Focus had it as him having uh, well into the double digits of of penalties last year. Uh, Justin Fry didn't seem too concerned about that. Like one point he made was, you know, a lot of times when the officials call a false start, if, you know, if the entire offensive line jumps, it's going to be that most athletic guy who gets called. And he was the most athletic guy at San Diego State. And so, you know, Justin Fry said, obviously it is something that they're going to have to work on from a coaching perspective, but he didn't seem overly concerned about it. 
Now, you know, obviously the big question mark now is, okay, is he going to be the starting right tackle this year? And just to fry, like many of these coaches, I've definitely noticed it with Fry is he's never a guy who's going to give you his depth chart in an interview session. He's not, he's, he's just not going to divulge that he's going to just talk about the competition at large. And so uh, that was really what he did when he was asked about that, but he did say he was pleased with the way Tegra Shabola and Zen Mahalski have responded. Cause he said, you know, if you bring in competition and those guys shy away, he, he said shy away from competition. He said, that's actually good because you'd rather see that than when it's third and seven and they need to go make a key block. But he said, that's not what they've done. He said, they've, uh, embrace Josh. They've helped him get acclimated into the room. And so, um, you know, he had a lot of good things to say about those guys. I mean, even Tegra Shabola, you know, he said he thought Tegra quote had a really good spring. And he said he, he thinks Shabola is going to have a really good career ahead of him. Um, he was asked specifically about Shabola. He was not asked specifically about Mahalski, at least not while I was over there. And so, uh, I wouldn't take those comments as a reflection of he likes Shabola better than Mahalski, but he was very complimentary of Shabola. You know, we've heard Ryan Day be very complimentary of Shabola too. And so I, I think, you know, we've talked about it since the spring. I think Ohio state really likes the upside of Shabola. I think the question is, will Shabola be ready this year? And I think that's what they don't know right now. Uh, you know, I think certainly Josh Simmons coming in, with that extra year of actual playing experience and starting experience, you know, we've talked about, I think that probably gives him at least a slight leg up in that right tackle competition going into preseason camp, but he's still got to go in and prove it again. I mean, he's never even been through a practice at Ohio state. And so a lot of that's going to come down to how those guys perform in, in preseason camp. Uh, you know, Fry, uh, you know, he Fry stopped short of naming any new starters. I mean, he acknowledged that Donovan Jackson is in line to be the starting left guard and Matt Jones is in line to be the starting right guard. He did say that, uh, you know, Donovan Jackson could play anywhere on the offensive line if needed, that Matt Jones could play center if needed. And he, his quote, he said this multiple times is, you know, at the end of the day, we got to play the five best. And so, you know, he said, you know, if, if, other guys emerge like he praised Enoch Vamahi a lot today as the backup guard. So, you know, if they come out of preseason camp and they're really convinced Enoch Vamahi is one of the five best offensive linemen, then maybe one of those guys does move somewhere else uh, to get Enoch on the field if they think he's better than the guys competing at tackle or center. But as of right now, they're still looking at it as Donovan's the left guard, Matt's the right guard. You know, Josh Fryer still seems to be the leader in the clubhouse at left tackle. I asked Justin Fry, I said, how confident would you feel if Josh Fryer was your starting left tackle right now? And he said, very. Uh, he said, quote, he's training his butt off right now. And so I, it still seems like Josh Fryer's that front runner at left tackle. I think center is interesting because we didn't see Jacob James in the spring. And so now how, where does Jacob James factor into that competition? Uh, Fry was very complimentary of him today, but he was also very complimentary of Carson Hinsman, who we've kind of viewed as the front runner in that center competition. So I think that one's still going to be interesting. You know, I think, you know, I think we'd both agree. Like, I think you go into preseason, like right tackles, the one that's most up for grabs right now. That's the one where they really need somebody to step up. And then center, I think is still up for grabs. I think, you know, Hinsman maybe pulled ahead in that race in the spring, but I, I, I think there's still a very real competition there. 
And then I think left tackle, it's not locked up by any means, but I think there is a a clear front runner there and Josh Fryer. Yeah, Dan, it's, it's interesting about the center situation, and that's kind of why I put center on my list of unresolved position battles a couple of weeks ago that I did on 11warriors.com just because, you know, even though Carson Hinsman seemed to have kind of, you know, a, a, a stranglehold on the first team reps there, um, you know, throughout the spring, it was still one of those situations where, you know, he, he does not have very much experience at all playing center. He didn't even, he said he hasn't even, you know, didn't even snap a football until he got to Ohio state. Uh, and, you know, with guys like Jacob James coming back and, you know, the potential, the, the potential to kind of, change things up and, and switch guys around if, if that's what they feel like they have to do, you know, as we have seen has happened in recent years in the preseason, uh, albeit with a different offensive line coach, you know, that could still be a possibility. But Dan, I do want to ask, though, just having not, you know, spent any time over at Justin Fry's table on Tuesday, you know, how did he, I assume he was asked about, you know, just the fact that the the perceived biggest concern for the Buckeyes, uh, you know, kind of unanimously is, you know, the offensive line and maybe the, the right tackle position in particular and center, uh, you know, how did, did he, was he asked anything kind of straightforward about just the, the perception of that being kind of the biggest concern for this team? Um, and, and if so, how did he respond to those types of questions? You know, I, I don't recall that specific question being asked. I'll have to go back and listen through and see, but I, I don't recall that specific question being asked. You know, I, I one question I did ask him was, is it normal or even expected that the offensive line is going to have some struggles in the spring? Because we we saw it last year, too, where the offensive line was definitely behind the defensive line in the spring. And then, you know, the offensive line ended up, I think, being really good for the most part during the season. And so I did ask him that in that vein of, you know, do you kind of expect going into the spring, especially when you're going up against a defensive line like Ohio State's, that you're going to have some struggles. And he said, you know, really, whether it was here or anywhere, when you're replacing three starters who were NFL draft picks, you're going to have some growing pains. And so, I, I mean, I sense a lot of optimism from Justin Fry in that the struggles from the spring were going to happen, but these guys are going to improve and they're going to ultimately get to where they need to be by September. You know, I mean, I think from an objective outside observer standpoint, like there's probably reasons not to be super optimistic about the offensive line just because there are three question marks there. But, you know, I, I, I did get the sense that Justin Fry feels like they're going to be able to get there. And so, you know, we're not going to know until September. We may not really know until they go play Notre Dame in the fourth game of a season. But there does seem to be optimism there that, you know, they're they're going to be able to get to where they need to get. They have a lot of guys that can play, but now it's a matter of in August, you, you really need three guys to, to emerge as those new starters. And I don't think that's happened yet. And, you know, realistically, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, not much has changed. I mean, Justin Fry has been out on the road recruiting for the past month. They haven't had any practices since the spring game. So nothing's really changed since the spring game. It's it's all kind of projecting forward to August now and what you can get accomplished in preseason camp. And so I think Justin Fry has optimism that over the course of those four or five weeks of practice in August, that they can get to where they need to be in time for week one. But he's probably not going to really know that until they actually get there. Dan, it sounds like Justin Fry also touched on Avery Henry, who obviously 
recently, you know, got the news that his cancer had gone into remission. And of course, I think we're, we're all kind of rooting for, you know, him to eventually at some point, assuming everything goes well, return to the football field um, and play for Ohio State, Don the Scarlet and Gray. Um, you know, what a story that would be. Um, what, what did he have to say about, you know, the possibility of that happening and, you know, the potential timeline for him to kind of come back to the field in that sense? Yeah, it sounds like there is no expectation from Justin Fry that it will happen this year. But uh, right now, all of their focus is just on his health and whatever, basically whatever the doctors tell him he needs to do to, you know, get get back to, you know, where he was before he, you know, battled cancer. You know, obviously he's, you know, still been undergoing treatments. Obviously those things can take a lot out of you. And so uh, I, I think right now, Ohio State's really not thinking about the football aspect of it. Right now, they're thinking about the personal aspect of it with Avery. And, you know, Justin Fry did say several times, like, we want him to be around as much as he can, as much as he wants him to be around. They want him to be around the guys. Um, you know, you know, it sounds like he has been and that, you know, the guys have helped lift him up. And in turn, he's helped motivate them, you know, them seeing, you know, what he's going through. You know, Justin Fry made the point of, you know, sometimes it makes the big things not feel so big. You know, when when a guy's going through cancer on your team, some of the stuff that you think is big on the football field doesn't feel that big in the grand scheme of things. And so, uh, you know, I think certainly it's been an uh, you know an eye opening thing for a lot of people. I think that you know, first and foremost, everybody at Ohio State is just thrilled that he beat cancer and that he's on the road to recovery, but all indications based on what Justin Fry said on Tuesday was that, you know, they are not looking at this year as a realistic timeline for him to come back and play. They're going to kind of continue to talk to his doctors, see where things go from there, and then eventually figure out the plan for if and when he can return to the football field, but it's not imminent right now. Dan, another piece of news that we did not get to discuss Last week, I do believe it, it broke on Tuesday, though, which which is fitting for, you know, us on this podcast, because uh, news always has to break on the day that we record, but only after we've recorded the podcast was the addition of Ohio State or a new Ohio State offensive analyst, Joe Philbin, obviously a longtime NFL coach, position coach, coordinator, uh, head coach with the Miami Dolphins. I know both Justin Fry and Brian Hartline were asked about him. Uh, obviously, Hartline played wide receiver for the Dolphins while Philbin was the head coach there. So there's an obvious connection. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how much Justin Fry got into that new hire. I know Hartline was very excited about it. Um, it sounds like he might have, you know, kind of a, a role in kind of the, the offensive line slash run game, Dan, as a guy that can kind of support things there. Um, you know, obviously with Brian Hartline being a more passing game, you know, wide receivers coach oriented uh, offensive coordinator, you lose a guy like Kevin Wilson, who obviously, you know, had, worked with the tight ends and, and, you know, the offensive line and the run game. Um, so this is kind of gives Ohio state a little more balance in that regard. Um, Dan, but, but your, your thoughts on the hire, I guess, in general, and what you heard, um, from Fry and, and anybody else, any other Ohio state coach that was asked about that addition on Tuesday. Well, I think it's a great hire. First of all, I mean, I think anytime you can get a former NFL head coach to join your staff as an analyst, like unless there was some, extenuating reason why you wouldn't want that guy in your staff. Like that's a no brainer, right? I mean, all the experience he has, I mean, not just as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator, as an offensive line coach, 
And, you know, I, I'm sure some people out there will go, well, you know, he, he didn't do great as a head coach or whatever, but it, it doesn't matter because you're not hiring him for that role. You're hiring him to be a guy who basically helps out your offensive staff and the wealth of experience that he brings. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a no brainer. I think it's a home run to hire a guy like that to be an analyst for your staff. You I mean, we've seen Nick Saban do that a lot and Nick Saban is pretty damn good at this whole college co- football coaching thing. So I think it's a great move first and foremost to hire him. Um, you know, and I think you're right. I think, you know, definitely some of this has to do with losing Kevin Wilson and, and kind of replacing some of the expertise and, and veteran leadership that Kevin Wilson brought to the staff. Cause you know, you keep in mind, I mean, Brian Hartline's a first time offensive coordinator. Keenan Bailey's younger than I am. Corey Dennis is like the same age I am. Like there's a lot of young coaches on this staff. And so I think, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And so I think just bringing in another veteran mind who, uh, you know, has lots of experience with game planning, you know, with, you know, building an offensive scheme. I think that can only help uh, Brian Hartline. And the fact that Brian Hartline played for Joe Philbin and he knows how Joe Philbin operates makes it a very natural fit Hartline playing for Philbin of the Dolphins. I asked, I asked Hartline today about, you know, if there was anything Joe Philbin did in particular when he played for Philbin that really resonated with him. And, you know, he was honest. He said, you know, really in the NFL, most of your time is spent with your position coach. So he never, he didn't actually have that much one-on-one interaction with Joe Philbin, like during their time together in the NFL, but he's really excited now to really have the opportunity to work with Joe Philbin, you know, in a capacity where he's going to end up spending a lot more time with Joe Philbin than he ever did in the NFL. So it's pretty cool for Brian Hartline in that regard. And I think it's a great move for Ohio State. Yeah, Dan, I'm sure there's there's fans out there, too, that that don't probably fully understand, you know, everything that an, an analyst does on staff uh, for a particular team. Uh, but I think I thought it was interesting to note that Hartline was kind of talking about the the meeting room dynamic with Philbin and stuff like that. He said, you know, he's, he hasn't come in and tried to, you know, dominate the the meeting room or anything like that. It's kind of more of a, a situation, at least for the moment, where it's a guy you're consulting, you're, you're asking for, you know, his opinion on things, another set of eyes, you know, maybe he'll, he'll, you know, in, in interject some kind of, you know, feedback um, here or there, but that, you know, he's not coming over and ruling the roost over there. We talked about a couple of the transfers. I want to circle back because this was also the first opportunity uh, to ask Larry Johnson about Taiwan Malone. And I, I know that you were at Larry Johnson's table, uh, at least for some of his interview sessions. So w- what did Larry have to say uh, about, I mean, it's Taiwan Malone. I always mispronounce it. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he talked about the fact that he recruited him back in the day, Dan. Um, and, and he thinks that he's going to come in and, and bring depth to the Ohio State you know, defensive tackle position right away, which is, you know, what, what we've all been saying about the move in the first place. Um, I, I kind of thought the most interesting part about his, you know, comments on Malone, Dan, was the fact that, you know, we've discussed a bunch already. The fact that Malone, a big part of his recruitment out of high school was that he wanted to play baseball also in college. And the fact that he was doing that at Ole Miss and Johnson says that, you know, Malone has expressed like for the first time now, he's going to be hundred percent all in on, on just football. He's not having, you know, his, his athletic endeavors, you know, split now between two sports. He's, he's going to be all in for really the first time in college. And I think Johnson believes that that might allow Malone to kind of capitalize on some of that potential. Obviously he was a, a very highly rated recruit, but didn't play a whole lot 
um, at Ole Miss. And, and the other thing being that, you know, it's a, a little bit of a, a coming from a, a slightly different defensive scheme up front as well at Ole Miss. But, you know, Johnson thinks that the transition will be smooth, especially with Malone's focuses completely on football now. You know, you, you make an interesting point there, too, about Malone, because we talked about all free transfers. And one common Fred you notice there is that all three of those guys were either recruited by Ohio State or recruited by their new position coach out of high school. And so that kind of speaks to the importance of building relationships in the recruiting process and then maintaining those relationships because you just never know now in today's transfer portal world where a guy that you recruited, maybe you missed on him in high school, but a year or two or three later, he might become available to you again. And so I think you notice that common thread with those three guys they got in the summer is these were all guys that there were connections there. And those connections are a big reason why those guys are playing at Ohio State now. And another interesting connection, too, that Mickey Marotti pointed out was that Ole Miss's head strength coach, Nick Savage, was actually a former intern at Ohio State and one of their new assistant strength coaches that they hired this offseason, A.T. Turner, was at Ole Miss last year. So that actually helped Marathi and the strength and conditioning staff in terms of integrating Davis and Igbenosin and Taiwan Malone quickly because both of those guys were at Ole Miss. And so that actually helps in terms of Ohio State kind of knowing what they're coming from and, and being able to get more information uh, about what those guys were doing there and then translating that over to Ohio State. Yeah, and Larry Johnson just talked about how, you know, the the transfer portal allowed Malone to, you know, he, he feels like he's he's got a fresh start now, a fresh start to his college career. And I know Brian Hartline also talked about, you know, the transfer transfer portal as well because obviously a, a couple of his wideouts uh, hit the transfer portal, you know, this spring and, and things like that. And, you know, he just said he, he's he's still focused on building you know, that room as best he can. And he completely understands that, you know, guys feel they have, you know, this four or five year window to kind of maximize themselves. And, you know, if they're not getting those opportunities, you know, he, he has, he, he sees nothing wrong with them trying to seek them elsewhere. We've got like 10 minutes left in the show here and we haven't even talked about quarterbacks yet. So I feel like we should probably <laughs> talk about the quarterbacks quickly. And now, honestly, a big reason for that is because Corey Ness didn't really say a whole lot about the quarterback competition. He said that, you know, nothing's been decided there yet. Uh, his quote, I know everyone wants to talk about the quarterback competition, but we're still in the process of worrying about yourself and getting better. better. So uh, Corey Dennis did not drop any hints today as to who uh, the starting quarterback is, is going to be, but he did say that Devin Brown is, quote, healthy and, and getting back to it. So it sounds like Devin Brown is back throwing now. Um, and, you know, he's going to be uh, full go in time for preseason camp after missing the spring game. And so obviously, you know, that was a setback for him, but he's still very much in that race. Uh, he's going to be uh, in that race uh, when preseason camp opens. Uh, you know, I've also thought, you know, it was interesting hearing what Mickey Marotti had to say about quarterbacks. And he said, you know, both those guys, uh, you know, they're both those guys work really hard. Uh, they both do a great job of, you know, competing in offseason workouts and uh, becoming leaders. And, and, he, and he told one story about how when Kyle McCord, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were all freshmen, that they one day he got to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center at 5.15 a.m. And those guys were out there 
throwing routes. And he's like, all right, guys, like let's, let's slow down a little bit. But, you know, I think that not only to, to Kyle McCord and the kind of work ethic he has, but I think that speaks too to some of what we heard last year about those freshman receivers last year. And I remember, you know, Mecca Buka talking to him before uh, the college ball playoff game and him saying that, you know, those guys, he basically said that, that, that last year's crop of freshman receivers just didn't come in with the same mentality that he and Marv did. And I think that's certainly an example of that. But yeah, there's probably not a lot of freshman receivers coming in and wanting to go work out at 5.15 a.m. Now, based on what we heard this spring, it sounds like Carnell Tate definitely has some of that. It sounds like Jelani Thurman definitely has some of that because I remember Keenan Bailey saying that those are two of the first guys in the facility every day. And so, uh, you know, I thought that was an interesting anecdote obviously speaks a lot to why Marvin and Mecca were able to make an impact so quickly, but also speaks to Kyle McCord too. And I mean, everything we've heard about both Kyle and Devin is that they're very serious about their craft. And so, you know, there's, again, we know one of those guys is going to have to step into really big shoes filling in for CJ Stroud. And we don't know how that's going to go yet, but all indications are of it. Both of those guys are doing all the right things in terms of their preparation to give themselves a chance to win that job. Yeah, Dan, obviously given how the spring left off with Brown missing the spring game, you know, McCord being the only one, you know, out of those two that, you know, we, we expect to actually vie for that starting job to play in that exhibition game. You know, it, it would have been probably naive to think that, you know, we were going to talk to the coaches like six weeks later uh, when nothing, you know, really has happened since then and, and them come to a, a, you know, a full stop conclusion on who the starting quarterback is going to be. I mean, uh, you know, Brian Hartline was asked about it by, you know, the, the legendary Tim May. And he just straight up asked him, like, who's your starting quarterback or who's your top quarterback? And Hartline was like very taken aback that he that he asked him in such a straightforward fashion and just pretty much no sold the question, um, you know, in general. And, you know, the, I, I haven't gone through the Corey Dennis interview uh, just yet, but I'm sure there was a lot of um, questions about, you know, th- that being avoided there, Dan. Yeah, I, I asked, I did ask Corey Dennis. I asked him, I said, do you have a timeline for when you want to have a starting quarterback named? And his answer was no, <laughs> that was it. So <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not a whole, not a whole lot, but I would say we, you know, learned today in terms of who the starting quarterback is going to be uh, just that it's still an ongoing process. Uh, something they're still working through. And, but really uh, the main focus right now is for both of those guys to continue to improve because uh, they don't need to name a starting quarterback right now. They do need to name one by week one, but they might need both of them to play this year. So uh, they, right now they're really, you know, looking at both those guys, you know, focused on improvement. And I did ask Corey Dennis, I said like, you know, is it, is it a luxury to have four scholarship quarterbacks right now when, you know, that's become harder and harder to do in the, in the transfer portal. And he, he kind of laughed and acknowledged that it was, you know, he said, you know, really right now, if you have more than one guy, like, you know, you feel pretty good because of the way things are in the transfer portal. And so, you know, I think certainly the depth there is a big plus, uh, you know, Lincoln Keenholes, he's going to be coming in uh, very soon to start his Ohio state career. And, you know, I, I asked Corey Dennis, I said, you know, do you, do you have to, lower the expectations for what keen holes can be as a freshman because he's coming in in the summer and and Corey said no that's not the way that they're gonna approach it and so you know to bring him in to have tristan gebbia as well they, they've got four quarterbacks on scholarship now the question is do they have one who can be that next uh 
CJ Stroud, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins. And, and Corey was asked, you know, is that the standard now? Is, is going to the Heisman Trophy ceremony and being a top 15 NFL draft pick the standard? And he said, it is, it is. And that's, that's what those guys are chasing. And that's what they want. Now we just got to see if they can actually get there. Yeah, I know. Uh, Dennis also said that, you know, those are those are guys that, you know, they wouldn't be at Ohio State. and They would not be competing for the starting job if they didn't have elite characteristics. And, you know, that's kind of been a talking point about the position battle in general is like, you know, what are these guys elite characteristics? Because, you know, I think there there was something, you know, left to be desired from, you know, a lot of what we saw in the spring. But of course, they'll have plenty of opportunities to continue to show those elite talents, you know, during the preseason and at the start of the season as well. Dan, uh, another position we haven't gotten to really thus far, another deep position, but I think another position that there's still, you know, some questions about, especially coming off of all the injuries last season is running back where, you know, we got a chance to talk to Tony Alford. That's another table I did not get to go around to Dan, but it does sound like uh, he's happy with you know, all the work that Travion Henderson put in to get back on the field, you know, by the, the end of the spring, even though we didn't see him doing, you know, any full contact work or anything like that. But he described his offseason so far as excellent, just in terms of, you know, the, the determination to come back as, as strong as ever. And I know that, you know, we've gotten that sense from from talking to Travion and Tony Alford that, you know, he really has a chip on his shoulder this season to show people that last year wasn't the best version of himself. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I was at Tony Alford's table for about three or four minutes and I'm like, you know what? I really don't have much else to ask him because the running backs are known commodities. Like we've seen Travion play a lot. We've seen Mayan play a lot. We've seen even Chip Train and Down Hayden play a lot. And, you know, realistically, a lot of the guys we're talking about today, a lot of the guys we talk about during the offseason aren't necessarily the guys we're going to be talking about in September. Like we're about to wrap up this podcast and we've like, mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. once like we haven't even talked about JT2 and Molowal like a lot of times it's kind of more interesting to talk about the guys that we don't know about yet rather than the guys we've already seen play and so I think you know running back it's kind of like we know these guys are good I think the one question is how is he going to utilize all that talent and Tony Offer doesn't really want to get into that kind of like we talked about with defense he doesn't he doesn't want to give away what the game plan is right now. I asked him, you know, the Xavier Johnson factor into your plans. And he very, you know, we'll see how that plays out when we get into the game plan. And so didn't want to give much away, but he did say, you know, this, this is as deep a room as he has had at running back in his entire tenure at Ohio state. You know, I asked him, do you feel like you kind of have another JK and Mike Weber with Travion and Mayan Williams? And he's like, well, we got Chip and Dallin too. So uh, the depth in that room is fantastic. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out in terms of, you know, who's the number one guy, you know, can more than two guys really see regular playing time in that room. But uh, again, it's a, it's certainly a, a good problem to have when you have f- at least four running backs you feel really good about. Yeah, Dan, I guess as we kind of wind down here, anything else that we haven't covered yet that, that you think was really interesting that, that shouldn't be glossed over from Tuesday's big press conference? Well, we've talked about it before that, you know, one uh, quiet concern for this team is kicker because they are replacing Noah Ruggles and we don't know who that replacement is going to be yet. And so, you know, that was the first thing I asked Parker Fleming during his interview session. And he said, quote, I feel like we're in a good place. Um, he said the biggest thing they're looking for there is consistency. I also asked, you know, do you want a guy? 
do you want the kickoff guy and the field goal kicker to be the same guy? And he said, that kind of depends on who the guys are. He said, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe it is a good thing if you don't have the field goal kicker doing kickoffs because Ohio State usually kicks off so much because of how good its offense is that, you know, it's less reps on the leg. Uh, but you know, he said, there's also guys who want to do both and they kind of get into a better rhythm if, if they're doing all of it. And so that's all still to be determined whether there will be, uh, you know, a, a separate field goal kicker and kickoff guy, or if it's going to be one and the same. Uh, but, you know, he did say he likes what he's seen from both Jaden Fielding and Parker Lewis, who are the two guys. You know, he said it was a free man competition in the spring. And now that Jake, Jake Seibert has left, uh, it, it's a two man competition there at kicker. Yeah, Dan, I guess I'll, I'll close out here with uh, just one other, you know, kind of note from from Knowles's press conference um, or media scrum appearance, I should say, was just that, you know, he, he, he certainly acknowledged that he's, quote, haunted by you know, the, the, the defensive breakdowns late last season that, you know, helped result in those two season ending losses for the Buckeyes. Um, and he, but he also said, you know, on the, on the bright side of that is, you know, he, he hearkened back to his time in Oklahoma state where he said, you know, every year, you know, statistically the defense got better and he said he could, he could feel that happening, you know, even in the off season before the season, he could feel that taking place, the, the change taking place, you know, the, the players becoming more comfortable in the scheme. And he's, he says that he feels the same way with this Ohio State group right now. Um, and he said, you know, a guy like Tommy Eichenberg, again, uh, using him as an example, was kind of accelerated in his kind of knowledge of the scheme and, and what Knowles kind of wanted everybody to do. And, and he feels like, you know, the, the team is closer to having, you know, quote, 11 Tommy Eichenbergs on the field in that sense uh, this upcoming season. So I think that is certainly a, a positive takeaway for anyone kind of still concerned about the defense coming off of the end of last season. And you just wrote about it on Tuesday about how Jim Knowles' defenses have improved over time, over the course of his tenure. And, you know, if you look at the stats, they're not going to blow you away if you look at his year one to year two at previous schools. You know, usually it's been more incremental improvement rather than, you know, massive improvement. But, you know, two things there. One, as much as we've harped on how bad the defense was last year, like they were still statistically like a top 20 defense of a country. They had two really bad games, but they were still statistically much better than they were the year before. So, you know, the, you know, Jim Knowles, when he says his expectation is a top five defense, like the gap to get from where they are now to there is not as huge as it's often made out to be. Like there's certainly things that have to be better, but the gap to get to that elite level, you know, again, he, where he's he's going into year two at a much higher starting point at Ohio State than he has at any other school. Secondly, you know, he's talked about it all along. Like the timeline is accelerated here because the talent's better. He has way more talent than he's ever had to work with before. And a lot of that talent on defense is guys who are returning with experience from last year. And so, you know, I I, I think there is I've said it all along, I think there is a lot of reason for optimism about this defense. And certainly I think for a lot of people, there's, you're going to have to see it to believe it. And again, like because of what we saw last year, like we're really not going to know until the end of the season, how much better of a defense actually is because, you know, 
for most of a season last year, the defense was clearly better. In the last two games of a year, what just so happened to be against the two best teams they played all year, uh, the defense was awful. And so we're we're not even going to know really in September if the defense is better. We're not really going to know until the end of November if the defense is better. But I do think that there's reasons for optimism that things are going to be better in year two under Jim Knowles. Yeah, Dan, that, that was one of my you know biggest takeaways from writing that piece the other day was just that, you know, Knowles hasn't always had the, this massive jump from year one to year two, but he's already at such a, a higher starting point than he, he's ever had in, in, with these previous, you know, at, at his previous stops. And so, you know, obviously his timeline is, is sped up with this turnaround. And, you know, I, I think every indication right now um, is that things are, are could be could be even better for Ohio State next season on defense. Well, we want to thank you all for listening in to this week's episode. Uh, on next week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, we are anticipating an appearance from Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith. So we hope you will join us for that. If you have anything you'd like to hear us ask Gene, let us know and, and we'll put it on the list. So thanks for listening in and hope you'll join us again next week.